Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a Bravo podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I have a very exciting special bonus episode today. Jamie Stein, who is an empath and an intuitive, is joining me to chat all things housewives, quarantine, what moment we're in with regards to racial justice. He talks about the importance of being kind to ourselves and how we make it through 2020 and also kind of digs in deep with the newest housewives to Real Housewives of New York, Leah, Garcelle, and Sutton on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and also explains to us some of the dynamics he thinks are going on with Denise. So I hope you enjoy. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate and subscribe. And as always, you can find me on social media at ITRL underscore podcast. Hi, everyone. I am here with Jamie Stein, everyone's favorite housewives empath. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm well, Mandy. How are you? I'm good. I wanted to chat with you today just kind of as a bonus episode, wanted to reach out to you because it's been such an overwhelming year. Like the first six months of this year have been absolutely insane and wanted to get your thoughts kind of as an empath and an intuitive about what me and my listeners can do to kind of get through 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, just hearing you speak, the first word I heard was surrender. You know, surrender to what's happening, surrender to the change that's occurring, surrender to the fact that, you know, things I don't think are ever fully going back to what we once knew. And so I think there's a lot of what I've seen from the beginning of the pandemic has been what I would call a resistance to fully surrender. Um, I feel like right when this started, I don't know about you and who you're following, but as far as like my social media feeds and what I was seeing pop up on my screen, 
I was just seeing a lot of immediate um, messages around, okay, so now's the time when you write your screenplay. Now's the time where you get into shape. Now's the yeah. time where you clutter. And I was just, and not only just that, but then other people weighing in on, okay, this is what this means. Uh, this is the message behind everything. And I was just looking at it all and just for my own self feeling, and I, is it okay if I swear? On this oh, podcast? yes. Go ahead. Be your true self. <laughs> uh, I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, right? What the fuck is going on here? I just felt like, are you people aware of the enormity of what's happening right now? Like the world as we know it is changing. I mean, first of all, not only are we in the middle of a pandemic, which has happened before in history, but it's the first time in our history, you know, that yeah. something like this has happened. It's completely unearthed all of our sense of kind of, you know, whatever false illusion we have as far as like control and, you know, just the systems we have in place to feel safe and secure. It's completely rubbing our collective noses in the fact that those are just illusions. People are dying. And on top of that, it's really revealing where there are major, I mean, we already knew where there were cracks in the system, you know, in terms of healthcare and whatnot. But it really was, it was more than revealing them. It was basically saying, now's the time that you really got to actually start dealing with this rather than, you know, brushing it under the rug. And so for me, it was just this feeling of like, can we just take a moment to take in what's going on? And I just know for myself, my first impulse was really to go inward. And what I would say to your listeners, um, personally, I gave myself weeks where I basically did nothing other than just the work I needed to do and show up for. But I gave myself full permission to just, I mean, anything that felt like a demand, anything that felt like a should, any impulse to kind of be productive for the sake of being productive and that voice that kind of said like, well, you know, you should be doing X, Y, or Z. I just gave myself full permission to throw all that out the window. And also with my clients, I was giving them full permission to do that too, because it's like, I guess what I want to say, the message coming through right now is um, understanding that just the very act of being in this moment in time is enough. Yeah. You know what oh, I'm saying? Like, yes, yeah. very much so. That really resonates with me because there is so much pressure to get something done because we have all this quote unquote extra time and it's very overwhelming. Yeah. I think it discounts the enormity of just what's going on baseline. Do you understand yes. what I'm saying? The I mean, it baseline really has shifted. Exactly. And mm -hmm. stuff's going on. And look, I don't care if you don't identify as an intuitive or an empath or a psychic. The fact is we all are energetic beings and we're all energetically sensitive to what's going on out there. Even if we don't know it, we are. And so when there's something so huge going on in the collective right now that is impacting literally the entire planet. This is not just, oh, the collective of the United States or whatever. It is the whole planet. I mean, it's like if you pull back and just think about the entire earth the entire population of Earth is being impacted by this right now. That is the energy moving through the collective. That is going to reverberate into each and every individual, into you, into me, into our neighbors. And we're in the midst of all this. Our bodies, our nervous systems, our cells 
are going through this experience. And so for me, it's just like, yeah, just simply being alive and getting through this time and feeling that reverberation is enough. And I feel like even the place where, you know, this is happening right now, people are kind of scrambling to get back out. And I do feel this tug of like, okay, let's kind of get back to normal. And for me, what's really coming through is like, no, 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 like, guys, let's just <laughs> surrender the back. Normal's gone. And I yeah. think, thank God, like, I think this is all pushing us towards some really amazing things. But it, it's like, don't, don't kid yourself about what's happening here. This is major. It's not over. It's far from over. So are you willing to let go of these voices that kind of want to cling, you know, to what feels normal, to what feels predictable? productive to what you should be doing are you willing to give yourself space to simply be in the enormity of this experience and trust that that's enough and also here that there's a bit of an invitation here i think for us to connect more deeply to how sensitive we are how much it requires simply to just live and exist in the world and to really start creating room for yourself to simply be in this experience and trust that that's enough I really like that. I've felt from the beginning that this experience resembles grief in a bit, you know, the the stages of grief and they don't come, you know, one after the other. And it's not like once you complete one stage of grief, you move on to the next and it, you don't ever backtrack and they don't ever, you know, it's a very fluid process. But you know, watching the denial that I had, that my family had, that friends had, oh, this, you know, this denial, like, oh, I'll see you in a couple weeks or in a month or in a few months, it'll all go back to the way it was, or I don't need to change anything. I'm just going to continue as if things are normal, that like denial, and then, you know, eventually getting to some sort of acceptance and then going backwards again, <laughs> you know, it's like back and forth. Well, I love that you're witnessing it, you know, and I think, and, and I want to say, like, when you say that, it makes me feel, you know, compassion and amusement for the human condition. I mean, these things are normal parts of the human condition. And I, but what I hear and what you're saying is there's an awareness of the process and there's a place inside yourself where you're witnessing, which I think is a really powerful thing, as opposed to just simply being lost, you know, right. in the like, okay, things are going to go back to normal. And so I, what I hear you doing, which I think is great, is, yeah, holding space for your own process, giving yourself permission to be your own process, and witnessing your own process. And then there is some of your wisdom, too. You know, like you specifically, Mandy, like you were just tapped into your own wisdom. And I think I'm just saying that because I that's another one of the possible invitations I feel in all this is, you know, there's a way that if we are willing to surrender to what's happening, if we're willing to hold space for our own process, I do think there's there's new information coming through all of us. And I think we can get more deeply connected to things inside of ourselves that maybe we weren't even aware of before because we are in a new context and in a new normal. And I think that, you know, sort of the last thing I'd say connected to all this is, um, and it's connected to surrender too. I, I, I mean, it is this thing of, are you willing you, meaning general you, are you willing to throw all the old forms out the window? You know, yeah. not that they that's a tough thing to do. Window, it's a tough thing to do. See, I also feel the excitement of it. Um, but yeah, of course. <laughs> I love it, that. But, 
I mean, because I do, you know, when I work with clients, I do still hear them kind of clinging to old, like the old ways of working, the old way their job looks. And it's kind of like, okay, but maybe take a moment here. You know, is there an invitation right now from the universe, from the collective to just throw it all away? Or again, not that you ultimately have to necessarily throw it all away, but are you willing to right. throw it all away? Because if you're willing, then you're not in resistance. Mm-hmm. And then maybe your old way of life or certain aspects of your old way of life wanna die. And maybe that's a good thing. And maybe if you're willing to be in that unknown and that uncertainty, you are gonna connect to a deeper wisdom of what wants to come forward now. I mean, you know, I think resistance is ultimately like the most destructive thing mm-hmm. in our lives, whether it's to our own emotional life, to reality, to the circumstances that are here. When you're in resistance, you're actively working against the flow of nature, both inside and outside of you. But if you're not in resistance to what's happening, well, then you're in the flow of nature, even if it's uncomfortable and unknown. And that's ultimately where deeper wisdom is gonna come from. Oh, I love that, not being in resistance. Now, before we get into some of the housewife stuff, I also wanted to touch on kind of the moment that we're in as a country beyond just the pandemic of kind of unearthing and sitting with the hundreds of years of racial inequality that we are kind of many people are coming face to face with for the first time. You know, people don't spend a lot of time thinking about the legacy of slavery and brutality and what that has meant for our country and the impact that has had on Black Americans, people of color, you know. And I think it's been a really amazing moment and I feel very hopeful about what this means because I'm hearing people who've never thought about it much or who um, went through the education system and didn't ever really learn a lot about the true injustices that black people face in our country, um, whether it's regard to, I don't know, just anything economically or um, with regards to police brutality, if you wanted to touch on a little bit about what this means for us as a society and how we can take this moment and try and create better, more concrete change. Yeah, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's multiple layers to it. Um, I mean, I think in a lot of ways we are as a collective in this country, seizing the moment, you know, and I think that that's been, and I also just want to acknowledge, first of all, I'm a white person speaking about this. Um, That just feels important to me. Yes. Um, But um, as a white person who's speaking about this, um, you know, it feels to me like in many ways we are seizing this moment as a collective that, and that the pandemic um, in some ways really provided the perfect kind of, moment for this because you know the world was already kind of shut down so i think in some ways it made it a lot easier for the people to rise up and shut the world down even more i i found myself wondering if we hadn't been in the moment of you know quarantining and sheltering in place would the protests have been so 
strong, solidified, effective. You know, I don't know that they would have been. So I just, I think I'm just acknowledging just how much is already happening. And just, I do really feel the commitment to, this isn't just gonna be like a flash in the pan moment. Like there's something like deeply systemic that has to change here. So I think that that's really exciting. Um, as far as sort of what else some of us can do, you know, I think, I think part of what I see, it's, it's similar to the pandemic thing, and I'm speaking more now towards my fellow white people. Um, you yeah. know, I, I kind of like, again, maybe a bit of a rush to kind of like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how you're supposed to show up. And if you're not showing up in this way, then like you're part of the problem. And, you know, I always kind of hear a voice in me kind of saying, wait, wait, okay, <laughs> like you, like it's kind of like, I, the answer to your question that most strongly comes to me, honestly, is what can we do? We can look at the ways that we're really complicit, you know? Complicit, and so yes. the reason why I'm bringing this up is I do feel in the place where I see a lot of my peers being very quick to kind of say, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is your responsibility. I kind of get the feeling, okay, but what are you avoiding inside yourself right now? Like, are you, when you point your finger at that woman in Central Park, and let me be clear about something, I am so happy that we live in an age where that got caught on film, that she's being held responsible for her actions. Like, you know, and she had a really bad moment of like, you know, certainly hateful behavior, fearful behavior, like prejudice. I mean, it was a bad moment, you know, and I'm so happy for the transparency that's happening. Having said that, when you're pointing a finger at her, are you also thinking about where does that woman live in me? Right. You know, just because this, you know, and this is what you hear people saying. It's like, you have to be willing to look at the places where you hold prejudice and you racially profile, you know, where you, you know, it's one thing, like, this is the thing. It's almost like I want to say what I see. It's like, it's one thing to take ownership of your privilege. And that is great. Don't get me wrong. But to me, it's almost a whole other step to then say, and are you willing to really look at where you used your privilege in destructive ways, even if it was unintentional? And, you know, I mean, without going too personal, it's like, you know, I first became aware of my white privilege about 10 years ago. I mean, there was a specific moment in time where I became aware of that. And for me, you know, there was an inventory, you know, where there was stuff I was like very specific circumstances where I look back and I was just like, oh shit, like that's, I did that, I said that, you know, and to feel just that, oh my God, that sense of remorse, that sense of contrition, mm -hmm. absolutely shame, embarrassment, and then also just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, all those things, you know? And of course, what it requires, though, is a willingness to hold that space for myself or you for yourself and also understand it doesn't mean I'm a bad person, you know? So it's like the willingness to kind of hold the bigger picture of everything and to be in that nuance. But I think, you know, coming back to your question, what can we keep doing? I mean, I think the most important thing we can do, yes, is to walk a line where we're wielding our righteous rage in the place where it truly is righteous and it feels great and we're demanding change. But I think where it crosses over into self-righteous rage via cancel culture, mm -hmm. via what you do, this is how you do it. If you're not doing it, you're wrong. Then to me, it kind of comes back to this old adage of like, you know, when you're pointing a finger at someone else, there's three others pointing back at you. And are you really willing to look at the role you've played in this and to hold space for that in yourself 
without making yourself a horrible person or going into, you know, your own victim narrative or whatever. And to really look at that. And in that place, also have understanding for others, you know, with those blind spots. Again, not that you're excusing it, not that you're not speaking up, not that you're not still wielding that righteous anger that motivates you towards productive, constructive, galvanizing action. But, you know, it's just none of us are going to win by continuing to point fingers. Right. I, I think I've said a few times, both like to friends and also on Twitter, if we could take all this energy that we have to cancel people on reality TV and put it towards policymakers and getting rid of problematic policymakers and pushing good legislation and then also holding ourselves and our family and our friends accountable, I think we'd be in a better place. There's a lot of energy being thrown, and I understand it's been a long time that we've been witnessing inequality, especially on Bravo, you know, we're witnessing misogyny, racism, homophobia, all of it. And we want to call it out and we want to see change and we want it to be immediate. And I think that's really important, but I think it's a process. And I also think that some of that energy can be better used in places where it'll create longer lasting change. We've directed that energy at Bravo. They have heard us. They are working through this. What about Congress? (laughs) I'm like, come on, people, where is all this canceled Jack's energy when it's like, you know, the Senate is in in play in 2020. But uh, I'll let politics kind of go to the wayside. I really want to hear from you in your readings and kind of your thoughts on some of the newer people we've seen on Housewives. You want to talk about the last thing. (laughs) Yeah, just to quickly respond. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think, you know, just to speak to that, we are in a moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of also was seeing this with the Me Too movement. Like, I do think it is important. I mean, maybe not as much when it comes to cancel culture. I mean, it's like the whole Stassi Kristen thing. It's the truth is, is it a symbolic gesture on Bravo's part? Absolutely. Of course. But at the same time, is it an amazing symbol of what's happening? Yes. And so I feel like we're in a moment where it's like, you know, the moment where where we are in is necessary. Like the the scales need to be tipped too far. I mean, the words too far feels a weird, but like you understand, I think what I'm getting. Yeah, like like overcorrect in a way. Because we, a system has been in place that's been supported. It's been harmful. Yeah, it's like we need right now to be rising up and like going really far in the other direction to basically say like, whether it's Congress, whether it's Bravo, whether it's whomever, like the police force, it's like, you know, we're not taking this anymore. Like this isn't this isn't the thing that you can sweep under the rug anymore. So I do think, I don't know, for some reason, I just wanted to acknowledge, like I do think we're in a moment that feels necessary for the forward motion of what's happening. And I also think it's not an effective long-term strategy. And, you know, yeah. if we're serious about changing things systemically, ultimately, we're, the moment's going to have to calm down. And, yeah, we're going to have to go within. We're going to have to go, you know, towards the actual systems that are in place and kind of be willing, again, to look at, like, is my desire to cancel Jack's really coming from a righteous rage connected to racial injustice or is there just something in me that's getting a charge out of canceling a reality tv guy that i don't really like 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all for cancel Jax. I'm just all for cancel Mitch McConnell as well. <laughs> um, okay. So now let's get into the meat of everything I wanted to talk about, which is the new ladies that we've seen on The Real Housewives of New York and The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And I'm going to include Denise in that because we didn't really get to tap into her or see as much of her last season. So let's start with Leah McSweeney of The Real Housewives of New York. I wanted to get your thoughts on her and her energy um, and also her sobriety and her journal with, uh, journey with sobriety and kind of just in general, like the energy that she seems to give out and that seems to kind of come out of her when she drinks, which she seems to suppress when uh, she's sober, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'll tell you, so Leah in general, so when I dropped it, I've dropped into Leah before, first just kind of in relationship to her and the show. And um, kind of what comes up whenever I drop into her around sort of the other woman. It's like, um, I'm just sort of going back in now to kind of find the exact words. Like, it's kind of like, I know you're going to misunderstand me. Like, she's ready to be misunderstood. Like, she comes in, and I don't think it's just the women on the show. I think she goes through life with that chip on her shoulder of like, oh, you're going to misunderstand me, so let me set you straight. And kind of what I liken it to, it's like, you know, that kind of old... Um, just that old psychological trick someone will play where it's like, let me make fun of myself before you can make fun of me. Like, let me point oh, out. This yeah. And my sense of Leah is that she is such a deep relationship to being misunderstood. And it's such, I mean, you hear that in everything. She's trying to like prove something to her mother. She even talked about, I started my clothing line because I wanted to show that women could do it too. Like there's always this charge on I'm proving something to you. And I feel like with Leah, there's just been this deep relationship to feeling misunderstood and that on a core level, it's been deeply painful for her like I think she's actually got a very big heart I think there's something very tender and sensitive and loving about her and in the place where she's been misunderstood she's been very very hurt and so I think she kind of walks through the world from this attitude of like okay like let me kind of create the matrix of me misunderstood or control it before you can misunderstand me so I'm gonna come in and kind of be like the, the freewheeling downtown girl and I'm gonna drink a lot and I'm gonna act out. And oh, you got a problem with me? Hey, this is who I am and I have a right to it and I get that you don't get me, but I'm living it like There's just kind of like a defensive energy where I feel like she's calling the shots on her own experience of being misunderstood before anyone can actually misunderstand and hurt her on a deeper level. Wow, I feel like that explains her completely completely the defensiveness that it, it doesn't come across right away it's definitely not on the surface at least for me when I watch her I find her wildly entertaining and wow. she gives me a bit of a Bethany energy in terms of her humor and kind of being the almost like sitting in the 
in the gallery kind of watching everyone else and commenting on them. It's like, oh, they're crazy and I'm just like the normal one. And then she shows her side of kind of vulnerability and quote unquote crazy. And then we realize, you know, she actually does fit in with these women a lot more than she acted like in the beginning. Yeah, but it's interesting like when you say that, like, do you notice, for example, there's also a way in which she kind of wants to pull people onto her side of things. So you kind of got the sense with Tinsley of, Tinsley, stop being, you know, the Upper East Side trust fund girl who has to hold everything back. Come over to my, like, take a walk on the wild side. Like, this is the right place to be. And I think it's because, again, she's got this point to prove. You know, it's like there's a way in which she wants to be right about things. And so it's like she wants to kind of win people over to her side. And when you mention sort of her being the peanut gallery, but then being insaner in her own way, it is this interesting double-edged sword where it's like, because there is a double standard, right? Like that one episode where she was acting totally, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, crazy. And then in the next night was so pissed off at Ramona and Sonia and whomever, you know, for kind of acting out at the restaurant. Right. Oh, yeah. When they were in Newport. Yeah. It's just like this double standard. And Mm -hmm. I think it plays a kind of like there is a bit of a I'm right, you're wrong. And somehow she's convinced herself that my brand of acting out and craziness is yeah connected to something that feels raw and real and is raging against the system whereas your brand of acting out and craziness is sort of hypocrisy and um a lie in some way it's it's an, I, I mean I, i'm sort of feeling into this as i go because it got sparked by what you just said but it, it does kind of explain why or how she justifies that her acting out is somehow no big deal but ramona's acting out is this huge affront to her system which makes no sense to me whatsoever i am sensing a lot of judgment actually yeah of her by the other women but wanting them not to judge her exactly that's what's so strange about it there's there's interesting yeah there's some thread there that i have i have to think about this more there's some thread that i'm picking up on there's something there there's a way that she holds her acting out versus their acting out that allows her to judge them while kind of saying to the world, don't judge me. Yeah. You know, it's a strange, it's a strange, like, but I can feel it. Like the voice that says kind of what the fuck are you doing? And then the voice that says, don't judge me. I can feel it's two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Completely. I just can't identify it quite in this moment. I'm going to think about this a little bit more. Well, any other thoughts on New York? before we jump into some of the Beverly Hills? You know, I mean, someone was just asking me about this on my Instagram live, just about why the season feels so much darker, which to me, it doesn't. I've always thought New York is insanely, insanely dark. And it's always struck me as odd that people find it to be a comedy. But um, I will say my answer to her that I feel is true is that I do think there's something about Bethany having left that I think does open up more space for the other women just to breathe, you know, but to be present and to bring themselves fully, which I think is a good thing. I I was one of the only people who was really relieved that Bethany was finally going to go. But I do think that part of that is that not only are they allowed to breathe, 
but that their their inner darkness and their you know what you could call their alcoholism or certainly their struggles with alcohol um i think that has more space to come to the forefront i think they're less afraid and i think they're 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 energetically living larger and i think now that darkness that i was always sensing in a really deep level is truly coming center stage yeah that is definitely true i think especially with dorinda you know there's no one to really hold many of these women accountable bethany didn't allow them to go too far before she screamed at them like truly like when she yelled at Dorinda on the plane or when they were going to Puerto Rico and she got too drunk and she was really inappropriate with the aid and relief workers or for example everything with Luann when she said you're insufferable you know I feel like she there it, it makes them reconsider their behavior even though the way that she says it is not always in a very helpful manner. And I feel like without that presence, no one is kind of shaking Dorinda and saying, what are you doing? You know, when she was really crazy at the orchard, just going off on Tinsley so intensely that it felt like she was almost possessed. (laughs) And I also think the other women were scared. I mean, they're afraid of her. They're afraid of her in the sense that she speaks up, but I also think just from even the politics of the show, like I think Bethany was the star. I think she ate up a lot of space. I think that there was just a way that everything organized around Bethany. And I think now that that sort of North star is gone, yeah, it's like this, the other stars can kind of spread out across the constellation. And I just think energetically, there's just more room for them to kind of like, yeah, truly be bringing their full selves. Um, I do think, you know, you specifically, when you were asking about Leah, did bring up her sort of relationship to alcohol. The one thing I'll say about that is it feels similar to me. I think it's so interesting that she chose to start drinking again on the show. And to me, it feels like a similar vibe. Like when I drop into her around alcohol, I think that she never, if on an unconscious level, maybe even semi-conscious, I think she never fully intended to give it up forever. I mm-hmm. think she kind of always knew, like, there's going to be a point where I go back and what I do feel off of it is kind of like, it is that same thing of like, I'll show you, I can do this. Like yep. I can do wrong about me. I can drink and still have it all. You were, I mean, as I say it, I start to really feel it. It's like, you were fucking wrong about me. And now I'm going to show you. Um, so it's just interesting with her. I just feel like all roads kind of always come back to like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And when I feel that, I feel compassion for her. Like, I feel I feel the anger. I feel the pain. And then her work's really going to be like, you got to let it go. You got to put down that fight and understand. Surrender. Exactly. Surrender. <laughs> Surrender and feel the pain of being misunderstood and understand it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. I think that's the problem is right now she's confusing being misunderstood with the message of there's actually something wrong with me and I deserve to be seen in a certain way. And I think the work for her is going to be like, oh my God, mom's not seeing me and I'm still like a great person. You know, I think that's her work. That's really wise. Okay. Pivoting to the other coast. Yeah. Beverly Hills wanted to start with Garcelle. We haven't mm-hmm. seen that much of her yet. She no. hasn't gotten that dirty yet with the women that involved in their mess. 
but really wanted to get your thoughts on her relationship and calling out Kyle because that's something I find really fascinating. I also just very much really like Garcelle. I don't know why, but when I see her, I smile. I just immediately smile. Like something about her and her energy brings joy to me. (laughs) She's very likable. She's very likable. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, so I draw, I've been dropping in a little bit with Garcelle to Kyle. And it's like, you know, it, it's honestly when I, when I drop into Kyle, I'm sorry, when I drop into Garcelle and I see Kyle, like the first words that I kind of hear are just like, I don't got time for this shit. Um, you know, and then the next words I kind of hear are like, I'm a grown ass woman. And so it's like when I feel in the flavor of that, it's really interesting. Okay, so this requires getting into Kyle a little bit. Um, Kyle is really interesting to me because she'll make me all across the board. There are times where she truly is one of my least favorite housewives, and I just feel a level of contempt for her. That's, like, probably unhealthy. And then there's other times where I just sort of feel her good intentions, and I feel her heart. And I'm like, you know, Kyle, like, she's trying. She's not so bad. And I've always kind of been curious about that for myself, about like, why do I have sort of such a wild range of responses to her? And I think when I dropped into Garcelle, what I became aware of is, you know, Kyle is some, Kyle's really interesting because I, I think she she does come from a background, like she's seen some stuff. Like I think growing up with Big Kathy and what was going on with, you know, Kim and Hollywood and all that stuff. I don't think that was a joke. I think that they, those, those women were, I mean, you know, I want to be careful of the language I toss around, but you know, I would venture to say there was extreme emotional abuse. Like, and even, even if they weren't being like overtly sexually, like there was just undertones and overtones and stuff about fame, money, sex, you know, politics within the family. So I do think Kyle has like walked a real road. And I think that's the place where I can really feel compassion for her struggle and what she's dealing with. However, I think the way it manifests in Kyle, I think what Big Kathy kind of brought them into was this kind of like, it's almost, it feels like high school politics on the surface. And I think that Kyle got stunted at a kind of adolescent age. And she's really on a conscious level hung up on like, yeah, politics of fame, politics of the show, collusion. She's got this sort of really annoying friendship with Teddy where they both act like a couple high school girls. So even though Kyle, deep down, has some real stuff she's dealing with, I think she's very much disconnected from it. And I think the way it plays out on the surface is very, it plays out in this sort of shallow, vapid high school way. And so with Garcelle, I think when I'm dropped into her and I'm seeing Kyle like running around, like crying about Dorit's glam and like dressed in her clothes and worried about this and worried about that, as Garcelle, I feel an energy of like, I'm a grown ass woman who is fucking taking care of myself. And I don't know Garcelle's background, but in terms of just looking at patterns in life, I do know she went through this divorce. And I know from what she shared that her response was, let me drag myself up by the bootstraps. Let me take care of my kids. Let me put on a brave face. Let me work this out. Like she just feels like an adult mature woman who handles herself. And so I think that energy of feeling like a grown ass woman who handles business, looking at Kyle and seeing Kyle be this sort of like, you know, even with Mauricio, she kind of, infant, she's like a little girl, you know, mm-hmm. with her little girl playing house. Like she's like the Malibu bar or Brent with Encino Barbie. And I just, <laughs> Encino Barbie. 
ourselves kind of like, I don't have time for this. And what I think is interesting though, is that I did sort of, sort of drop back in and I was like, okay, let me just sort of, let me play or let me play around with the matrix a little bit and be Garcelle and real, like if Kyle were to actually dig in and start to feel her deep emotions and start to get real about what's really been at play in her life, how would Garcelle respond to that? And that's the moment where as Garcelle, I saw Kyle and I was like, oh, okay, welcome to my world. Like the world of being a powerful woman who takes responsibility for herself. So, you know, I just thought that was kind of interesting. So I think, yeah, I think in the place where Garcelle feels like a grown ass woman, she's looking at Kyle's surface antics. And she's very like, like juvenile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I really, I, I feel that very deeply. It's interesting. I feel like for Garcelle, she's someone who confronts things head on um, because that's the way that she learned how or she taught herself how to like confront her emotions head on. And that is very unusual for a housewife. Mm-hmm. Every, like I feel like very few of them actually confront their emotions. They just are kind of like weaving between them. And so it's kind of, I I don't know many other housewives or even reality show stars. Like I'm thinking of, for example, Sheena on Vanderpump Rules has a lot of uh, pain that she's experienced, yet she won't let that show most of the time. You know, she's got a very like different exterior. So I just find that really fascinating. Yeah, Garcelle, there's something that just feels very mature to me about Mm -hmm. her. Like I and I don't know much of her background, but I just keep hearing the words like I've seen some stuff. It's just she just feels like, you know, again, I'm a grown ass woman. She takes care of herself. And yeah. it does. She's got a perspective where it's like, look, there's a lot of nonsense here. I don't have time for it. Right. I mean, she also did grow up in Haiti and was, oh, you know, okay. came here um, as an immigrant. And, right. you know, that is a very different life experience than many yeah, of the other people we see on our screen. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. She shared, I forgot about that. She shared that. Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm speaking about. It's just this vibe of like, there's just a, and it's funny that you mentioned she's from Haiti because the way that I actually was experiencing it in my body was kind of like, she holds a bigger perspective. It almost feels like an international perspective. It's like, I'm seeing more than what's right in front of me. And I think in that place, like Kyle, like I, I just, I don't have time for this. That's really what it feels like. Right. Now, Sutton is a very unusual character. I was telling you before we started that I can't really get a read on her because she seems to be extremes of everything and like almost like opposite extremes. So like she seems very juvenile and childlike. And at the same time, she seems very matronly and elderly. Like Mm -hmm. she seems very overly sensitive and also very like hard exterior. I don't care. So I, I have trouble... Like, I cannot for the life of me figure her out on any level, like where she fits in this group, why she decided to do this show, who she is, what makes her tick. Like, were you able to get kind of any like read on her? Yeah, I've kind of felt around her. She actually reminds me a lot of Jennifer Aiden from Jersey. Oh. Uh, yeah, like a very similar energy to who I always liked. I always had a soft spot from her for her from the beginning. But what I mean by that is, so first of all, like when I just drop into Sutton in relationship to the other women, what I think is really interesting is it's like 
she I feel very much on the outside, uh, which yes. I think is interesting given that she ended up becoming a friend, even though she was supposed to originally be a full-time housewife, because she feels energetically like I'm on the outside. Like I literally see the other women kind of far away and I'm sort of on the sidelines of Sutton sort of at a distance. And what I get off it is a feeling of like, I actually fear, like there's fear here. I don't actually feel like I fully belong and also some anger. And so it's like when I kind of feel into it a bit more, what comes to me is that I think with Sutton, you know, she's someone who wears the clothes and, you know, whatever, has the house and stuff, but I don't actually feel the energy of a true snob with her. Like to me, Dorit feels like a real snob or like a Cameron. <laughs> like these are people who really like, it, it's just in them. They like the nice things. They want to buy them. It kind of feels like the truth of who they are in some way. Sutton to me feel, and this is sort of where I connect her with Jennifer Aiden. She feels much more like a little girl dressing up and playing house and sort of trying costumes on. Okay. Like, feels a little weird to me like I feel like she's sort of this weird little girl with and actually has a big heart and like or eccentric let me use that word weird eccentric is is very spot on for her (laughs) and her outfit choices (laughs) yeah and it's like I don't mean weird in a judgmental way she just feels like a character she feels eccentric and the vibe I get off her you know again not knowing anything about her it's kind of almost like this sort of eccentric little girl who had her own weird little way. And there was sort of a place where she was sort of not seen or misunderstood and that it was sort of painful for her. And then, and then on top of that, again, I don't know her background, but she feels sort of sheltered and sort of Mm -hmm. spoiled. So it's sort of mixed with this entitlement. And so then she sort of goes out in the world And she's got this strange mix of like, I'm not sort of fully seen for who I am. And I'm also kind of spoiled and entitled. And so for me, it just kind of amplifies the place where people don't quite know what to do with her or what to make of her. So it sort of exacerbates this this notion of her feeling misunderstood. So I just really experience her as someone who's both, um, yeah, just kind of this like this weird little girl who's got this big heart. She doesn't quite know how to connect with people. She wasn't quite supported to find her own voice and to really understand her own energy and to live from that place. And on top of that, she's kind of entitled and spoiled. So it's sort of like she doesn't, there's not necessarily an impetus for her to figure herself out. So she's just kind of existing in this strange middle ground where she does to me feel like this heart-based, eccentric little girl who's trying on costumes, trying to fit in, not quite sure where her place is, kind of getting angry when people don't get her. I mean, you saw that, right? She was so upset. What was it that upset her? It was the Teddy thing that upset her, right? When she was talking to Kyle, I think, and she started crying. It's like she doesn't fully understand why people are having the reaction they are to, to her. her yeah like she puts out emotion and then she's confused and startled by people's reaction to what she puts out because i don't think she gets the disconnect between what she's putting out and her like intention yes for sure and then i think she feels misunderstood and then i think that triggers a really deep pain and i don't think she's honest with herself about how much of an outsider she feels and how much she's struggling to find a place to belong. And again, because I think she's kind of spoiled and entitled, there's all, she lacks that humility 
to really be able to sort this out for herself. And I think on some level sort of feels like things should just sort of come to her. So it is all kind of feeding into itself. Interesting. Does that help? Yeah, no, that definitely gives me a way to kind of view her. Now, someone who's kind of been an outsider, but also is very much or had been very much well liked, you know, is Denise. So she was brought into the group. Everyone kind of kissed her ass. She got an incredible edit of being laid back and chill compared to all the other women last season. And I think I get a sense that the women resented the edit that she got on a season when they all had a lot of hate coming their way from viewers who were upset with them over LVP or upset with them or over ganging up or the the show or whatever. And none of that was really directed at Denise. And I feel like we're witnessing now them be more upset about either how she was portrayed or how she came off. There's something that happened between last season and this season. And I don't know exactly what it is, but the women are not happy with Denise, with the exception of obviously Garcelle and Sutton doesn't seem to know her. What what are your thoughts on all of, of this with Denise? Well, I mean, there's two sides to this. There's what's going on for Denise and then there's what's going on for the other women. And so I hear you speaking right now to what's going on for the other women. So right. is that what you start or? Yeah, what's going, how the women are receiving Denise mm-hmm. and then so- go into Denise. Okay, well, let me, I might need to go into Denise to explain it. Let me, Go I'll into start. Denise first, then. <laughs> um, However you want to do it. So I actually do think in a lot of ways, there is a lot of energetic similarity to what happened with LVP last season. For yes. me, I do think there is something, I do think Denise did something energetically that they are having a response to. So, okay, this is, okay, so I'll speak very generally about Denise, and then we can come back to her in a deep dive. But just to get into the other women, I do think that Denise truly did have a judgment about what was going on at the dinner. I think that she was charged and triggered around it. I do think she was pissed off about it. There's more I can say about that, but I'll save that for a moment. Um, And I think that she wasn't being fully honest about how much it bothered her. And so I do think, and, and I understand the women coming from this point of view. I think there's something disingenuous with Denise when she says, oh yeah, I was talking about happy endings, but that was a private conversation amongst adult women. It's like, come on, you are on a national TV show. You have a teenage daughter. I understand the women saying like, you didn't care about the repercussions of stuff like that last year. And now this year you're kind of judging us, you know, for having this conversation and you are going around and having, you know, you're whispering behind our back and you're not really being forthright about how deeply this is impacting you. I totally get the women's reaction to her, like just as far as that, much like I got why they were fed up and pissed off with LVP. Now where they go with that, that's where they start to lose me because it's just, you know, to me at the end of the day, this just isn't that big of a deal. And I think it's possible to kind of hold space for the fact of like, yeah, Denise is having some sort of strange reaction that she's not being hundred percent honest about. Let's just let her have a reaction. I do think it's taking the women to different places. And I think they each have a different thread here. So I think for Kyle, 
I mean, it, it gets so like, it gets so convoluted. I'll just say this. If you want a deep dive of why I think Kyle is so triggered by Dorit, go to my Instagram. I have a whole video about it. But what were you saying? By, by Dorit or by Denise? Well, I'm saying Dorit because I think what happened right. was Kyle mm-hmm. was so triggered by Dorit. Then Denise came in and basically said, what's the big deal? And I think because Kyle was Got so it. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and just like, you know, quick Cliff Notes version, I think the Dorit stuff triggered Kyle in her place where she's got no sense of boundaries. And I think it tapped into a deep anger around her relationship to being the good little girl and not being allowed to have her boundaries. And I think that's why she was so worked up around it. And it was so important to her that Dorit get called out for her behavior because it taps into Kyle's whole defensive structure. So I think when Denise swept in, it was kind of like, hey, what's the big deal? I just think that it, it just, Kyle felt even more ganged up on an attack. And so I think for Kyle, in the place where she gets vicious, in the place where she disowns that freaking rage in her that wants to sort of come in and annihilate people, you know, um, I just think we're seeing that play out. It's like she's a little bit like a vulture, like, oh, there's a window. Like in the place where she couldn't get everyone to rally the troops and prove Dorit wrong, now it's like, okay, well, like, like let's all prove Denise wrong. Got it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Now, I think it's interesting because for Erica, I hear feel something completely different where I think, because, you know, Erica is a little strange because she's always go with the flow. She's like Denise. I think with Erica, there's something about Erica she does not want to feel set up. And I think that's why she had such issues with Lisa Vanderpump. There's something about her feeling set up by people, especially around a place. If it has a vibration of like, you're a bad mom or anything mm-hmm. like that, like questioning her and her choices, I think it just triggers. So I think in the place where she feels like, wait a second, Denise, we sat down, I apologize. You said everything was cool, but now I'm hearing you're going around our backs and there's this threat of mom shaming behind it's like what I hear from Erica is like you are setting me up and I am not letting you get away with that um and I think yeah I think this sort of just I think there's a way that Erica felt set up early in life you know Mm -hmm. and there was a place where she was misunderstood around her own good intentions and she got kind of mislabeled you know I mean again it's like we're holding space for the bigger picture here. So I don't want to go too deep into any one individual, but you know, there's always been something for me about the split in Erica between her heart and her sexuality, which is why she's like in a marriage to a man who I'm imagining does not meet her sexually and her sexuality gets very controlled and packaged and commodified into a stage persona. So I do think, you know, Erica James, Mm -hmm. so I, really two different people. Erica Jane's the sexual vamp. Erica Girardi's sort of the good wife and mother. So I just think this thing about like, you're the bad mom. I'm sort of, I'm taking something and I'm unfairly setting a trap for you where you're going to be labeled as the bad mom who has threesomes. I think it's hitting her somewhere where it's like, whatever, whatever inner conflict there is around her. Mm-hmm. It's exacerbating it. Yep. And she's feeling set up. And so she's saying, Denise, don't you dare set me up. Don't you dare. It's the same energy as Teddy. Don't, what was it like? Don't you ever say I'm, what oh, was it like? Liar? Teddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or amnesia, it's, amnesia. Yeah, it's the same exact energy. She's sitting at that table with Denise now saying, don't you dare set me up. 
you know, so that's two examples. Lisa Rinna, I just think she's a cutthroat, ruthless individual when it comes to this show. Teddy, who the F knows what's going on? I mean, that's like a whole <laughs> What is she doing on the show? But what is a- she doing on the show? <laughs> what is she? I seriously, that is the one I don't understand how her contract keeps getting renewed. Like, I think it's she- because of Kyle. I think Kyle has pulled her along and been like, this is my friend. She's been on the show. You're going to renew her contract if you want me. Like, I need my allies. You think Kyle, first of all, you think Kyle has that much power? And you also think Kyle would, like, put her job on the line? Or something like I that? don't think that. I think the other women think that about Kyle. Uh, maybe. I mean, Teddy, I will say, Kyle, if you're listening. <laughs> but no, Kyle, if you're listening, Teddy makes you more unlikable on the show. Yeah. She makes. Kyle unlikable because it's kind of the Garcelle thing. Teddy feeds into the worst parts of Kyle, which is that immature high school colluding mean girl. It's like no one likes this part of Kyle. People right, whereas like-, like LVP tapped into the more humorous side of Kyle, where they were always laughing and joking together when they were getting along. Yeah, yeah. And at least they kind of butt heads in this sort of power play. I mean, don't get me wrong, like Bethany, I was glad for LVP to go. I thought she choked the show i actually am enjoying this scene, even though i still feel like they need some cast they need to kind of still bring in people who are gonna it, 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 the way these women sort of hover and nitpick doesn't make for great television but i do think this season's better than last and i'm glad lvp's gone because she just smothered the show with her control and her yeah. politics it is just very interesting for me to see how denise is being edited so differently because I'm getting very different energy from her than I did last season. And I think the other women, I don't know if they saw the other energy all along. And they're like, you were edited to look a different way than you really are or or what. But I think there's a disconnect between how Denise wants to come across and who she is. Well, that's the thing. No, so what I think is happening is Denise actually is a control freak. And I think part of her being, and it's kind of a little similar to Erica Jane in a way. I think part of her being a control freak is she pretends she's not a control freak. So part of her control is a persona that she doesn't give a shit about things. And I think last season what we saw was she was in control of the narrative. And I think this season she's not in control of the narrative. Right. Slip. So, I mean, do you want me to go a little bit more into what I think was going on for her with that dinner? Yeah. Thanks to all of this. Um, I think like when I've dropped into Denise, like I've literally dropped into like that dinner and sort of these women talking about the threesomes and what I really got, first of all, I did feel her control and her anger. It was an energy of like, I'm shutting this down now. Like the narrative is getting away from me and it's making me sweaty and I don't like it. And when I felt more into that, it really was, I mean, Lisa Rinna said it on the show. It was this thing of, okay. Last season, I made some comments. I put some stuff out there. I'm embarrassed now because it kind of came back to bite me in the ass. Even though people didn't really seem to care, but it no. seemed got some kind of feedback. And it seemed, feels to me like she came into the season, like there's a new narrative. I'm not saying those things. I'm not making those comments. I'm not talking about Aaron's penis. And I think what comes up for me around all of this, I think that Denise is someone... The vibe that I get when I feel into the place where she made comments about Aaron's penis and talked about happy endings and then kind of felt embarrassed, the vibe I get of it is like, oh, shit, Denise, you fucked it up again. It's almost like, oh, let me scramble and get it under the rug. It's like I have such an investment 
and, and making sure people understand I'm not that woman. And there's something that I have to work against to make sure people understand I'm not a bad girl. I'm not a wild thing. I'm not Charlie Sheen's wife. And again, if you look at like bigger patterns, it's like she spent so much time and energy cleaning up the Charlie Sheen image. And so I'm always looking at patterns because, you know, I come from the belief that our patterns are just, we're constantly recreating the same pattern. So to me, it's like, I'm cleaning up my image from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It feels very similar to cleaning up the Charlie thing. And yes. I think it's like, what I get off her is that there's a split in her. It's like, it's almost like what I would want to say to Denise, if I were working with her, it feels to me, it's like, you got to get to a place where you are allowed to be kind of the woman who's a little, like, let's it all hang out there. You're a bit of a wild thing. You've got a chaotic energy. You're sort of racy and sexy. And at the same time, you are a good, loving mom and wife. And that you can be both things at once. And what I feel in Denise is that there is this split between the parts of herself that I feel like she labels as the wild thing, the bad girl, you know, the sexy woman, and then the woman who's sort of the good girl and the good wife and mom. And she feels at odds. And it's like, I'm not allowed to have both. And I have to kind of show people I'm not this other thing, even though she is that other thing. And so that's kind of like, that's why I sort of get this vibe off her of like, oh shit, I let it slip again. I did it wrong. Let me reel it back in. And it's almost like from that point of view, because people are always saying like, what does it mean that this woman was like, you know, um, married to Charlie Sheen? And I, I, my guess, my vibe off it is almost like Charlie Sheen, I think she kind of unconsciously or semi-consciously thought she could have her cake and eat it too. Like that she could like be married to this guy who at the time was really successful. It would look great on paper. They'd be a Hollywood power couple, but like, you know, he's a bad boy behind the scenes. They can have their wildness, their sexuality, but it would walk a line. And what I, when I drop into her to Charlie, it really feels like a sense of betrayal of like, you promised me one thing and it became another. And this wildness has sort of taken over everything. And um, now I'm left to clean up the mess again. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. That's so interesting. So you talked a bit about the work you would do if you had them kind of, if you were working with Denise. Could you kind of go into a bit about the work you actually do and, you know, how you work with clients and, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, like how they can do that? Well, there's all sorts of, yeah, I mean, definitely, first of all, follow me on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, I post housewives, you know, hits on my feed, and sometimes I take quick questions. Um, and then go to my website if you want to contact me. It's hollywoodreadings.com, and you can email me. Um, but basically, everything always starts with, like, an initial, like, a, a reading or a session. And so I just ask you come to me with a couple questions you have about your life. And then what we do is we use that as a jumping off point where I, yeah, I start really going into the different threads of who you are. So there's going to be a lot of information coming through about, okay, this is sort of what I pick up on your essence, the truth of who you are, who your soul wants to be. And then these are the parts of you saying no to that and why. So maybe if Denise were coming to me and she's like, oh, I'm having this you know, problem with my friends. Like, why am I having this problem with my friends? They would be about like, oh, hey, Denise, like, this is the truth of who you want to be. You want to be this sexy, wild woman who's also a good wife and mom. And this is why you don't think it's possible. And so then we just sort of create a 
this space where you get to be really deeply heard and seen. And it tends to really sort of start clearing things for people and for people to kind of reclaim parts of themselves that they maybe didn't even know were missing. And then it kind of becomes about like, okay, so how do you work with the circumstances of your life right now to help you move into like the truth of who you are? So they're cool. It's like they're these sort of dynamic sessions where we really get into like just you on a lower self level, a higher self level, and just sort of what you're meant to do spiritually. And it's cool. People get a lot out of it. And then, yeah, some people want to work, you know, have ways of working with people on a more deep dive level. But, you know, basically, you know, or you can just come for a one time reading and people get a lot out of it. That's amazing. Where where can people find you on Instagram? Because you mentioned your Instagram. Oh, yeah. It's just my name. So it's Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And if you go there right now, I've got videos of Dorinda, Sonia, Kyle, Dorit, you know, other stuff you can go and start watching. And I'm about to, I've actually recorded some other stuff. Well, everyone, you heard it here. Make sure you go to hollywoodreadings.com and follow Jamie on Instagram. I think you just have such a wealth of knowledge. And what I heard from what you were just saying is kind of a lot of it's letting go of like the resistance and like going with the energy flow of who you are and like what's happening in your life and what's happening in the world and kind of removing the barriers that we set up Um that we think are protecting us, right? Like our defensiveness, but actually um, are hurting us, you know, in some ways. Yeah, and I think also part of it is identifying where are there images that you've created that you accept as true that actually aren't true. And I think that's a big part of it too. Because I think the images is what creates the resistance, you know? Yeah, I love this. I think you're just so wise and brilliant. And I think you give great advice. I love hearing your takes on the housewives because like, I think you were the first person that I ever heard. It was on Bitch Sesh when you talked about Brittany um, Cartwright having like a dark energy. And it was at the time, it was like season five, everyone had accepted Brittany as being this like perfect little sweet woman from Kentucky. And you said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, I'm sensing something else. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need to watch all these shows through Jamie's eyes. So. It's so funny, like that really, I feel like that is the thing that's become like a claim to fame. Like people always talk about that. It's like, who would have thought like one thing about Brittany? Um, now yeah. it's all kind of coming, you know, we're seeing some of her really dark of her darkness or is now it's not hidden anymore. It is in plain sight, you know. And I think, you know, I mean, that I remember that episode and it was about her entitlement and how this is sort of a, a woman. I mean, I call her a woman. She feels like a girl to me, a girl who like knows how to get what she wants. And so what you're seeing now is like she's not getting as much as what she wants. She's not getting everything she wants anymore. And you see like. Yeah, she's entitled. She's throwing little tantrums. And and I mean, I know you probably want to end, but did you, if you watched that last reunion, just did you see the way she used her tears? It's such yes. like a and it, it evokes such a response from from the other, you know, from Stasi, from Ariana. They don't want to see her cry. That is oh you know, I think Jax can handle seeing her cry. You know, he doesn't seem to have much um, emotion for anyone, but I think I think they really you know, but yeah, if it were me, oh my God, I would be, I would be over those tears in a second. That would make me want to like challenge her even more because it's like, that's, a, that's how she keeps this whole game going, those tears, you know, it's like, 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I'll be sure to um, keep reaching out to you with all of these thoughts. And I think we need to do a reading together privately because I think I have a lot that I would love to hear from you about. So thank you so much. And we will we will talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Also, you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the naming price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.